Hello and welcome to the Single Girl's Guide to Life, your weekly guide to single life living in your 20s, 30s and 40s. I'm Chantelle Dyson, a single life confidence coach, helping single women to embrace their single life in all kinds of areas so that they don't feel that they have to be in a relationship to be happy. And I'm joined by a very special guest today and it is Mia, who is a wealth enthusiast. She runs the Wealthy Women's Club and helps women to raise their financial, emotional and mental wealth. And I'm going to let Mia do a little bit more of an explanation onto that so that she can share what she does. Thanks for joining us, Mia. What is it that you actually do under that title? So first of all, thank you so much for having me. This is really exciting. I'm so happy I get to be on your platform and and be heard by all these women. Um, So, yeah, I'm a wealth enthusiast. um, So I basically help women build financial, mental and emotional wealth. Basically, I believe there is kind of this euphoric balance when you work on financial, mental and emotional wealth, a bit like a a Venn diagram, the three circles intersect and in the middle. If you work on all those things, ultimately, that will lead you to a life of happiness and fulfillment. So the idea is that financial wealth isn't is important, but it's not the be all and end all. Gotcha. And what? Do you think that it brings to have all of those three components together? What do you think it really brings women? I think it brings freedom in your life. Uh, to have all them things come together, it's, like I said before, it really creates a life of fulfilment and happiness and knowing how to use your financial knowledge and knowing how to have a strong money mindset and bringing all those things together can really create a life of freedom um, and I think it's it feels like a secret that not many women know about. And I'm kind of here to shine a light on that secret so everyone knows about it. <laughs> I love that. And you mentioned something in there about having a money mindset. What does that mean? So it's basically the way you think, feel and speak about money. So it's influenced. So the way you think about money influences the way you feel about money and therefore the way you speak out to the world how you feel about money. Um, so creating a strong money mindset is basically having sort of a positive mindset on money and not a negative one. So a thing that I talk about a little bit is people's money stories, um, which is basically the story of how you think, feel and speak about money. Um, so um, it's built on sort of past experiences, uh, sort of your generational upbringing, the way as a child that people spoke and felt about money around you because usually the way you feel as an adult was actually built between the ages of zero and seven so it's kind of this subconscious thing that actually when we dive deep into perhaps the way we manage money for example um, it can actually lead back to the way that say our parents spoke about money when we were you know five years old And unless we unpack those things that happened to us when we were younger, we won't actually get to the the root um, and to be able to resolve the way we, for example, manage money now. It's really interesting that you mentioned about the fact that it, it comes about in your early childhood years, because I work with women on confidence and then looking at relationships and why being alone is maybe not seen as successful and that again comes from these ideas of what relationships look like and it can be what is it that you experienced at those ages 
but what was then reinforced after it. So it's interesting that it works in just the same way, but it happens yeah. to be on a different topic within that. Um, what yeah. I think maybe one or two of the most common money mindsets that you have to work to change so that it's more positive? What are the, what are the most common negative ones? I think a lot of people and obviously women feel that the way that they saw money and the way they heard money speak spoken about as a child is how their lives are going to pan out. So if they experience financial hardship and, for example, their parents were always saying things like, we can't afford this, we can't afford nice things, money doesn't grow on trees, uh, rich people are greedy, uh, all these negative thoughts and emotions around money without unpacking all of that they feel like that's how their lives are going to be so like oh I'm just not meant to have money this is not meant this is not meant for me I've seen it for my parents therefore however my parents experienced it is how I'm going to experience it um so it's really opening their minds and obviously working on that money mindset to show them that no what happened in your past does not have to dictate your future um and also I think another one would probably be when it comes down to emotional spending so I like the idea of spending in an emotional balance we tend to spend for example when we're down if we've had a bad day at work um or if we're really happy and we you know we have that you know it doesn't matter you know you're in kind of excitement um and we when we spend in an emotional imbalance that's where things can go sort of wrong as it were because we are not actually in you know kind of a mental balance to actually know where our money's going and be conscious of the decisions we're making um so most people that comes down to things like impulse spending um for example when you see something you're like oh i really want it and you buy it and then you get home and you kind of have this spike of serotonin and then a couple hours later you think oh why did I buy that (laughs) so there's a lot of things that you know as I spoke about before that manifest as an adult but actually come down to the mindset that was built when we were a child and when you mentioned that idea of emotional spending it's easy for us to sort of look back and look at patterns and go you know I didn't turn to alcohol I didn't turn to drugs or even sex um yeah. but there's these other emotions so mine would be like sugar it's definitely a food thing when my, my emotional stressor is there but to have that awareness and bring the awareness around the fact that do you spend money as a way to make yourself feel better might not be yeah. something that anyone maybe listening has ever really considered they just like that they have maybe a little bit of surplus money sometimes singles have they feel they have more money because they're not in a relationship and don't necessarily have children so they might feel like they've got more money but then costs of living alone are higher so there's a bit of a balance there so maybe just for anyone listening it might even be worth starting to look at how does someone start to identify that if they are doing that so one would be knowing exactly what's coming in and going out so having a real hold on knowing where your money's going and knowing what's coming into your life I think being conscious of your spending habits so sitting down perhaps at the end of the month and seeing, you know, on most online banking apps, you can get a breakdown of the categories where you've spent money um, and having a look at those categories and seeing, oh, I spent this. I can't believe I spent that much. If you, Because some people, it's difficult to even look at 
their online banking, which I get, but it's bringing consciousness to that. So therefore, you know, you can work, you can work from that place. So when you're conscious of your spending habits, you tend to think more when you're out um, and making spending choices. So you kind of, instead of just going, oh, I really like that. Yes, I'm going to buy it. You kind of stop. You're like, yeah, I really like that. But do I need it? Is it aligned with me? Will it make me truly happy? Or is it going to make me happy for five minutes? Those sort of things. So I think knowing what's coming in and going out and being conscious of your spending habits, therefore, you bring that to when you're actually going to spend money. Um, and you start to question yourself more and then you start buying just by default start buying more in alignment with yourself so you know the spending that you're actually doing is intentional rather than emotional gotcha so having that awareness of what's going in and out initially and then working out what really rewards you as opposed to is just filling this void temporarily giving you as you said that hit of serotonin to then drop down after yeah Gotcha. Yeah, 100%. And what are the other challenges people face with their finances more so rather than just cash flow? What what are some of the biggest things that are cropping up that you're noticing? Finance as a whole is just incredibly overwhelming. I think people don't know where to start. Therefore, they don't start at all. They have all these goals in life and they want money for them and they want to know how to manage their money better and they want to perhaps invest their money or to put their money in the right places that's going to work for them. But because it just seems like this whole other world that was meant for like white men on Wall Street in suits, you know, it, it you don't even want to enter it. It feels like a different language. And I think it's kind of that is the biggest problem for most people is they have so much they want to do but they don't know where to start and so what would you say to people that just want to start where is the starting point for people and what are they not yet doing I think definitely number one having a good grip on knowing what's coming in and going out because you can only make kind of money moves from there if you know exactly how much money you've got where your money's going you know if you for example wanted to budget you'd need to have a good hold on that if you wanted to invest you'd need to know you know is there income available to do that um you know anything that you want to do with your money if you have savings goals you need to know um how much is available to allocate to that so I think obviously number one like I said knowing what's coming in and going out but then number two thinking about what your financial goals are or sort of money goals in general, but also splitting that down into short term and long term. So, for example, if you wanted to create um, an emergency fund for your car, so emergency funds are for unplanned expenses. So say your car breaks down instead of that being a complete shock and inducing a lot of stress and anxiety as to where that money is actually going to come from to pay for it you've created an emergency fund in advance that is there as a safety net um, and has given you financial stability in the moment that, God forbid, your car breaks down and needs work. So that would be kind of a short-term money goal. Perhaps a long-term money goal um, would to be, for example, safe for a house. Um, so So when writing down all your money goals, you want to prioritise 
ones which are the most important to you in that moment and then pick one or kind of one from the short term and one for the long term and prioritize working on them because if you try and do everything at once like I said it's incredibly overwhelming it's incredibly complicated as well to do all those things at once especially if you have a lot um so just pick one focus on that and then once you've kind of achieve that or you're on your way you know where you're going with that goal then you've got a better knowledge of it you've got better understanding of you know financial literacy anyway and you've also started that momentum to get the ball rolling to therefore go on and hit other goals so I think that's probably the best place to start to getting clarity on what you really want and trying not to do it all at once because not even just having Mm. multiple financial goals but when you have lots of other things going on in your life as well, you can't do the finances and look after yourself and be dating or whatever it happens to be for, for yeah, single 100%. women. So yeah, it's-, it's going back to, you know, like the, the financial, mental and emotional wealth. It's about striking that balance rather than putting all your energy into one thing. Yeah. What led you to start working on this? Were there any stories that you had or experiences with wealth and finance that you led you to want to help others with this? Yeah, so it's it's funny you say that actually, because I sent out um an email to my email list this week, um, which was quite a vulnerable one. It was talking about kind of the why behind the Wealthy Woman Club. Um, and it basically comes down to experiencing financial hardship as a child and you know, having multiple experiences where, you know, there never seemed to be enough money. We couldn't always afford things, um, you know, um, you saw perhaps things needed doing in the house. Um, and you know there just wasn't money there to do it and then obviously my mum experienced Um, a lot of kind of commercial um sorry consumer debt and seeing the effects that that had on her emotionally and mentally and kind of spiraling in those areas and I think I got to a point when I um was in uni I think I was about 20 um, and one of my friends said that she had been investing money and I was like, my mind was blown. Like one, because I didn't really know anything about it. But two, that sounded like like what I alluded to before about the whole white man on Wall Street, you know, scenario where it's like, oh, how can you, how can you do it? You're not a white man. You're like a obviously a woman and you're a uni student, whereas like notoriously, um, you know, there's like this broke concept around uni students, um, which is partly true, but obviously there's ways to to manage that. And I just it kind of just piqued my interest. And I was like, if if like the way obviously like the people around me when I was a child spoke and felt and managed their money led to them being led to that result of financial hardship, surely there's got to be a better way or a different way of doing things that is going to lead to a better situation. Mm. So um, I kind of just nosedived head first um, after um, those two experiences. And just started investing, you know, kind of investing in myself. So going out there and getting the education, uh, taking advantage of kind of loads of free resources like books and podcasts and all that, trying out things for myself, going to pursue my own uh, financial goals, unpacking my own money mindset and my money story. Um, and um, yeah, it was it was definitely as I went back to looking at my life as a child and what I experienced in a financial way but also there was a lot of mindset things that came into it 
like I spoke about, you know, between the age of zero to seven. Also, just if you don't unpack it, it will just follow you into adulthood. Um, so, yeah, um, it was my own experience that kind of motivated me and pushed me to to seek for more, to seek for better. Um, and, um, yeah, that's when I kind of not did it for myself because I'm still on my own journey. But I I found out, again, what I, what I said before, what sounded like a secret. And I was like, especially women with, with the whole... Um, gender wealth gap like we need to do something to try and you know at least minimize this gap and get you know do whatever I can to try and close it as much as possible so that's when I just started putting out content to the world um, to women and being like you know there's this there's this secret that we all need to know about and we need to work on but it's not just all about money um we need to consider our sort of mental and emotional well-being in that as well so yeah thank you for sharing it it sounds clear what the journey that you've been on and what would you say has been maybe your proudest moment since working on that journey or the most impactful for you the things that really stand out to me and it's not even kind of for myself it's for other people when people talk about say financial hardship or they talk about the way they think about money and knowing what I know now I can kind of challenge that in a in a constructive way um you know if if it's about you know financial stuff it's if it's I've heard someone say a comment not just a stranger where I would just go and call them out but for example you know like family friends and and bits like that I Um, kind of like I say question it in a constructive way to make them think differently um, and kind um, of just plant that seed um, like um, I said whether it's to do with financial things whether it's to do with kind of money mindset things that you know can hopefully just kind of grow eventually into getting them to the point where where I am Um, and I think that can be really powerful because we all went through the same system we went through the same finance the same education system and therefore we as a result we all kind of there's a lot of uh, a herd mentality around finance and around money so I think for me to be able to try and just plant that seed to to hopefully try and put them in on a different path or make them think just a little bit differently in that moment I think can be really powerful and is that ever met negatively in some way because some people would think that saying you know questioning someone's beliefs whilst it has a good intention that person doesn't Mm. necessarily like have you ever experienced that or has it always gone okay so far yeah so like 99% of the time it goes okay but there is this this massive taboo and stigma around talking about money so for example Um, we were having like this dinner for uh, my grandparents birthday the other day and I don't know how we got onto it. It's probably to do with me. And we ended up talking about like pensions. And um, I was like, oh, how, how much do you guys, like, what do you get for, for pension? Like just out of pure interest, you know, thinking, you know, keeping in mind things like the cost of living and inflation. You know, is it enough? Like I want to make sure, you know, obviously my family are doing all right. And uh, my grandma said, me, it's rude to talk about money. And I was like, and obviously because of the, the kind of space that I'm in I'm rarely ever met with that but to people on the outside yes there is this perception that it's rude to talk about money and we don't talk about money so not necessarily negative but kind of a bit of friction between like you know when I say something I'm sometimes met with friction but when it's with people you know and people you're comfortable with 
you can they know obviously you've got good intentions but you can also you know you're in the right scenario to be able to try and challenge that but like I said in a constructive way so it's kind of questioning like you know why why is it rude to talk about money Um, and opening that up so I think it can be healthy but sometimes it's met with friction yeah well it's interesting that you say about like it's questioning why why is it rude to talk about money and it it makes me think of I was sort of starting to think about that myself but my mind went to well it's traditional not to talk about it and that's because traditionally it was the man's job to manage the money and actually that whole concept of not talking about money could even contribute to the reason why women as a generalization don't tend to feel as confident with money because what adult speaks to their daughter about investing versus adults that speak to their sons about investing for example and it and I know that is a that is changing probably at a slower ish rate but it is changing but there does seem to be this natural towards the 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 boys to know about how to invest and to think about that whereas I don't know if there's more of a tendency for women to save versus invest that's a complete like maybe that's a theory and I'd need to go out and find out more but I feel like that's more of an inclination for that safety element rather than what's more aligned with sort of male um, tendency is risk taking so what have you what do you think about the the reason around that people don't talk about money like you say, a huge, I think there is a huge, a huge disparity between the way, for example, say parents treat boys when they're younger compared to girls around money, because there is this kind of uh, maybe toxic masculinity concept that, you know, you're a man, you provide, you know, you need to provide for your family. Um, and therefore, that's where money comes in, because obviously there was this huge traditional concept of the man goes out and works all day and the woman stays at home and does the you know looking after children and bits like that and I think although that's definitely a a lot of that's gone or it's going that it's definitely due to generational things being carried into and I think it's not only when when we kind of move further through generations that that will hopefully hopefully um, disappear um, but you're definitely right about the way talking about risk tolerance between uh, men uh, and women because a lot more men tend to invest um, compared to women and I I don't know obviously the exact kind of neurology behind it um, but men tend to have a higher risk tolerance so like you say so they'll be more likely to invest their money whereas women will be more likely to save their money. But men in investing are giving themselves the opportunity for their money to grow, to earn, to kind of um, work for for you instead of you working for it. Whereas women who save due to things like inflation and the cost of living, that money actually loses value because it's not it's, it's kind of going into like the the kind of find the mass behind it but because inflation for example is say 10 percent but your savings are earning an interest of two percent therefore your money you haven't got less money but it can buy less it's worth less um, whereas obviously with investing especially over the long term, you're giving yourself more of an opportunity to try and match and sometimes even beat inflation. Mm. So Um, that kind of contributes to the gender wealth gap as well. 
Um, so you're right, men usually tend to have a higher risk tolerance. Therefore, they're willing to, you know, make kind of riskier financial decisions, um, whereas women just want to play it safe. And obviously, with the knowledge that we have, um, without going to seek any more, for example, the knowledge that we gain through the education system, women are going to stay pretty stuck in their financial position because if they play it safe, there's not really much to do with it because we didn't learn much to do with it. So. And what do you think, if you could influence the curriculum in the UK in any way, what do you think you would want to add um, so that people could be taught it in schools earlier so that they could be more prepared for the wider world? Yeah, it kind of sounds bold, but literally everything to do with financial education and money mindset so bringing that 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 mindset aspect into it so for example like knowing how to budget knowing the options where to put your money for example like ISAs um, knowing how to make the the most of pensions um, knowing um, how to invest your money uh, knowing uh, how to manage it but also like I said adding that mindset aspect into it um because for example by the age of seven where kids are in like year two their kind of money mindset has been has been formed and influenced already so therefore beyond the beyond the year of like year two you could probably start introducing you know age appropriate ways and age-friendly ways to to make people to make them think differently to make them realise that if they experience financial hardship as a child um, or are experiencing financial hardship, that that's not necessarily the path that they will continue for the rest of their lives. Mm. So um, I think things like you look at your yeah. own education when you were younger and it's like we were taught Pythagoras, mm. but we yeah. weren't taught how to budget our money or, you know, what a mortgage was or anything like that. And to me, that just completely blows my mind. Like, I haven't used Pythagoras since I left school, but I have come across all these situations where financial education as a child would have really, really helped me. So, yeah, I think being introduced as kind of a whole subject, like a maths, like an English, is a core thing to really set people up and to people to know that there's options more than just what, you know, they've seen their parents do, to know there's options for their money, to know what's available to them, to know how to manage it. There's just everything about it. I would generally create like a subject and, you know, to be able to set people up for for life, for any financial situation that could arise. So as long as you've got the basics down, you can build upon it. So say you want to really go into investing. If you just know kind of the basics of how it works and the concept, you can leave school and you can go build on that, but at least you know that's an option available to you. So, yeah, I would I would create it as as a subject um, to be taught, like kind of a mandatory thing, just so people, you know, have options in life rather than feeling stuck in the same situation. Mm, yeah, it's interesting to hear your opinion on that because I, I'm a maths teacher by trade or previously, so I used to design yeah. curriculums and it was important you know, we, we do teach the abstract version for GCSE, which is, you know, compound interest and depreciation. of and, and you do suddenly have a worded question that puts it into context. But one of my biggest pushes when I was designing curriculum or, or adapting it for our school was to to make things actually set the context first and then bring the maths in. So 
the, there was a whole module mm-hmm. that we designed that was around actually choosing the best bank accounts. Now that can come up in some school scenarios, but each school's a bit different. So it depends if they just take teach the basic. This is what we're doing because it's in the exam, or we're going to Barclay Cards uh, life skills it up and use some of their documents because I know their resources are quite good for that. But um, and it sort of it's still, I think it also comes into PSHE, which I do supply work for now too. Except I haven't come across it so far. But I think that again is very school dependent. I think that's sort of advisory documentation, certain things you have to. But with everything there, it's like how do you get enough time for it? But also like how do you teach children that in the in a way that they can relate to it well? But I think as you say, the mindset and the stories. If you make them aware from the ages of six, seven, eight, at least they can start to undo them over the next ten years rather than reinforcing them over, or at least being aware that you know it can be different for other people and probably for some that are in more privileged situations and do have money understanding that not everybody is in that scenario either um, and actually awareness both ways could be useful but that's just my little extra thoughts on uh, the education system and, and no, that that, that is super interesting because as the education that that I had at school we didn't yes we did compound interest but it was very I think I didn't even know that it was kind of although yes I knew it was money related I didn't know that could apply like in the future it was a very compound interest sounded like a it was it was a very maths only thing um therefore um, like why would it kind of apply to my finances when I was older because we never thought about it in that way but it wasn't until I learned about investing I was like hang on I actually did this in school, but in a different context that I wasn't aware of that I could actually use to that that, that could grow my money over the next forty years. Um, so yeah, I think if there was perhaps even more of a light shone on, especially in maths, how and like you say in PHSC, how yes, it's relevant in this situation, but it's also relevant in this situation. I think that could be really useful as well. Mm, definitely it, it would have been taught procedurally you do this with yeah. the power to get this final value how much is the difference in the bank account rather than really presenting like if you ever were given an inheritance of this much money this is yeah. what you could do with it but then yeah. here's some investment stuff which isn't on the curriculum at all but it would be the opportunity to talk about investing and why that is better for could be better could be worse and the risk is so and then you actually have these conversations around it rather than just go here's the procedural bit we're doing because we, we're told we have to so yeah I mean that means total sense to me um but it's how you make that movement happen because uh, how many adults are aware of it enough to kind of bring it on and I can never I don't know because I've not read the book but um the guy that wrote rich dad poor dad I think there's a clip of him saying and this is going a little bit little bit meta but like I I believe there's a clip of him saying they don't want you to know how to do well with your money there's a conspiracy almost I don't know how true that is and as I say I haven't read the book to hear if he goes into that a bit more and that reason but actually having financial wealth would potentially crumble some sort of system that we're all part of that we don't really know that we're part of yeah I definitely I yeah yeah 100% I have read um rich side poor dad it's like it's it's like the bible of the financial industry (laughs) So, yeah, I highly recommend I do. I highly recommend anyone to read that because it's definitely an eye opening book. But, yeah, it's when you look at the um, education system, 
it's like it is when you find out all this knowledge afterwards, when you look back on the education system, it's like it is designed to keep you poor. Because if you look, like you say, because the people that would make the decision on the curriculum don't even know it themselves. So how could they for enforce it or implement it if it's information that is completely unknown to them? So it's kind of this vicious cycle where we're just going off everything we're taught. We're all going through the same education system. We all end up leading very similar lives now, and therefore we implement that into our children. And we go round and round and round in this circle until someone decides to break the circle. And it's a bit like what Robert, that's is called Robert Kiyosaki, is saying, you know, you kind of have to get out of that to almost look at it as a bird's eye view and be like, oh, this is what's going on. But actually, once you find out the different options available to you, that's when you kind of break the circle and you go off in a different direction. And then you can implement that into your children and kind of create a new circle. But it's given way more option just than this life that everyone tends to lead. So, yeah, I do think there is truth in that. And so just to bring it back to sort of single person living, what do you think a single girl living on her own could do to benefit herself financially? As a single person, like you say, in that scenario, as a single person living on their own, things do tend to be more expensive, like rent tends to be more expensive if you compare it to a couple and food tends to be more these kind of basic things. Food tends to be more expensive because most food's made for like, two plus people Um, so uh, even things like when you talk about sort of bills as well like perhaps contacting providers um, and knowing your usage of things to go in kind of with a plan um, and knowing exactly what's going on with how much you're using and bits like that and try and negotiate or strike a deal based on those things but also when it comes to food if you can do things like buy in bulk, um, which I know can be difficult in times like this, but then you only use what you what you need per meal, therefore bringing down the cost per meal because you're only taking what you need rather than buying something that, that, w- that was designed for two people and kind of having this surplus of food. It's kind of little things, um, but um, they can definitely add up over time. But I do think the main thing is having that real grip on knowing what's coming in and going out so you can so you have control over your money therefore you can manage it therefore you can do the things you want to do with it for example like I said create an emergency fund invest it save it all these different kind of options once you have a grip on it then you can know and you can allocate money in those directions absolutely it's interesting that you mentioned about the usage uh, when you're doing bills and things because to me, that's something that I've naturally done. But then if I'm a maths teacher, it probably suggests something <laughs> about my inclination towards numbers, that logic, yeah. whereas I know that bills can feel scary to other people and they just go on a comparison site, they put in the house details and I just remembered that it estimates it for you, right? If you don't know it and you say, I don't know how much I'm using, um, it just gives a value, which could be more, could be less. Ultimately, they're going to give you the best deal based on what that has come up with. But if you're using more, I know the deals are a bit shot at the moment in general, but there still could be a deal out there that's worth doing a one-year fix on so that if it does get worse, it doesn't get any worse. Um, but knowing and getting that information, like you say, can actually be the game changer to actually look up how many kilowatt hours you use, type it in, and then see what the best deal is rather than taking the assumptions because 
you have some power to control how much you do and don't use. Obviously, some of us are just dropping the heat in by one degree and bits and little hacks here and there, but actually then being savvy with your providers, not just for that, but I guess broadband as well, making sure you check that every year. You know, it's easy to forget those little systems when you're just like, oh, I'll just keep paying it. Yeah, exactly. Like having, like I said, having a real hold on those numbers with regards to income, but also usage, like what 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 do you use? Yeah, um, can definitely be you know so, something to consider but also obviously talking about being single if you have complete control and you know exactly what's going on financially then even obviously no one ever has to get in a relationship and like you say you can be absolutely happy and confident living your best life as a single woman but that's important to if you did ever get into a relationship to take that with you so, so even if you're in a couple, you're still completely in the loop and knowing what's going on financially with your own money because some people tend to get in a relationship and they'll just pass it over. Whereas I think both of you, you know, whatever the situation is in a relationship, if you know you know exactly what's going on individually, that's brilliant to be put together. But also on your own, that's also brilliant, you know, in, in, in the same situation. So it can help now in the future you know whatever happens I think it's really important to make sure you as an individual know exactly what's going on with your money and you know having your own money goals and making your own money moves um is really important Hmm. I've I've been married and and been divorced so I know what the process is in terms of splitting that up and it you know when you get married unless you put prenups in then it is 50 50 so if you even if you did put an extra amount into a house that doesn't that doesn't actually get accounted for if you don't put the account in I think you can probably with a really good lawyer maybe get around that but as basics go it's just going to be split so I think you mentioning no not just knowing the finances but maybe even maintaining that in some level of independence with your finances too because if things do go sour you know yes you may have given up some of your job to raise the children but how are you then going to still be supplemented if things do go poorly and you end up with custody of those children it's it's little things like that that whilst we hope they don't happen it's having enough to still live and, and do well and understand finances with that you can survive you know it, it, even if something terrible happened you know or that your partner passed away you know little things that you don't want to happen but they do so I was just going to mention on that idea of like uh, when you in a situation where perhaps the worst would happen um you know for example if you did say you got married and you did divorce like like yourself people I think should look at prenups more as an insurance rather than this this like bad oh no don't get a prenup because perhaps you don't trust or you know it looks bad on your relationship it's like you insure life you insure your house you insure your car like why don't insure your relationship so I think that's a good way to look at it yeah that's a really interesting interesting way to look at it other than that, though, how can people get in touch with you or follow you? That would be useful to share with everybody in case they want to know, learn more and keep up with financial wealth. Yeah, so um, you can find me. I'm super active on TikTok. If any of you guys have TikTok, um, it's just at the Wealthy Woman Club. Um, and the same goes to my Instagram at the Wealthy Woman Club. I'm very active on them spaces. I post free valuable content every single day um so yeah if you want to connect or drop me a message feel free to on those 
Brilliant, super. Thank you for sharing everything that you did with us today, Mia, and for joining us. I hope everybody that that's given you something to think about, whether it's going away, looking at where your spending habits are, why you spend money, if there are different ways that you want to start bringing wealth into your life with those money stories and start your journey towards financial, emotional and mental wealth as a combination of that Venn diagram that Mia mentioned. But until next time, everybody, keep celebrating single life together.